The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. In all of this, you'll see the details of your own story. The story of a life well-crafted. Welcome to the House of Roll. The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my Populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Good morning and welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour on what appears to be a beautiful summer morning. Not too hot, not too cold. Like Goldilocks said, just about right. Well, you know, this has been another week. Uh, As the intro was playing, I thought, you know, the president's going to um, England on a state visit this week and I don't know how proud we'll be. He's already managed to insult um, uh, Prince Harry's wife, the former uh, Meghan Mark- Markley. Markle? Markle. Merkel? Merkel, whatever. Markle. Markle. Merkel. Uh, Merkel. Whatever you want to call it. Vince, the president. Wait, no, that's the president of Germany. No, that, yeah, Merkel is. Markle is is the former um, Hollywood star who is now the wife of Prince Harry and the mother of his brand new little boy. Subtle difference. Yeah. So she's not planning to attend the luncheon that the royals are having for the president because she's in her, you know, postpartum. um, Oh, yeah, obviously. Yeah, of course. Yes. Complications from the, yeah, the the birth. No, the baby's two weeks old. If I were her, I wouldn't be trying to get into a fancy dress and and heading off. Absolutely not. I I don't care if it's it's the president of the United States. Doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. And I'm an American citizen. Um, um, You know, I, I, I believe she has a legitimate excuse. You know, she's got, she just gave birth. She's plausible. Yeah. Plausible excuse. Yeah, I mean, you, you, Vince, have never been the mother of a two-week-old. Let me tell you, it's an exhausting experience. As all the moms out there are going, yeah, nodding their heads. But the president... Is it really that worse than dealing with him? Uh, well, he called her nasty yesterday in a in a uh, interview that was being recorded for British television. He called Markel... Nasty? Yes. For doing what? Why? She opposed him during the election. That makes her nasty? Yes, he called her nasty. I think he's starting to fall off a little bit. Nasty is the worst word he could come up with. Well, I think that that was the, um, he thought was the appropriate term for royalty. It might have been worse otherwise. So my question is, will Harry show up now or will he stand by his wife? 
Oh, yeah, definitely has to. I'm sure there's help that has to be done with the baby and the wife. Yeah, just can't quite make it. Sorry, would love to make it Trump. Just sorry. He was supposed to be there. But um, if I were him, um, this is called Stand By Your Woman, to paraphrase the song. But those things are so unnecessary. Even if you feel that way, sometimes you have to filter what you say. I mean, that's... That diplomacy is all about patience, feeling the other guy's position, and subtlety, remembering what the objectives are. And somehow that did not get this first big state visit to an important ally off to the right, on the right foot. But that's become typical. That's becoming typical in the weeks that we have. One of the things that I said to Vince this morning before we went on the air was maybe I should just toss my script and talk about what's right and what's wrong. You know, where are we as a country 15 months from a consequential election and facing just a multitude of unsettling problems, not the least of which if you were hanging on to to your portfolio um, on Friday, you were watching it. You, you were feeling it shrinking in your hands. Uh, and, and none of that is really necessary. So, you know, we'll, we're going to dive into some of that this morning. Um, we're going to make this an audience participation show. And we'll see how we all feel. Where do we have to start this week in the numbers? There are 12 people dead in Virginia Beach, Virginia, in a municipal center at their city hall. So how many mass shootings have we had in the United States so far this year? Would you believe 150? We have had 150. It's only the 2nd of June. So we're not even at the midpoint of the year. And we have had 150 shootings that involved more than one casualty outside of the shooter, and we've lost close to 200 lives. And why is it that only in the United States is a mass shooting a regular event that we are police trained for, our civilian response systems trained for, our media trains to cover? Why is that only true in the United States of America. Even Justice Scalia, in his important decision on the Second Amendment, said there is a right to bear arms, but there is also a governmental right to control the presence, use, and type of gun. And yet, what do our politicians in Washington do at a moment like this? They offer thoughts and prayers. It's time we get beyond thoughts and prayers. It's time we get to a stronger, more effective, universal background check. Because I am tired of reading, as I read on Friday, that the guns, or actually on Saturday, I apologize, that the guns that the perpetrator used and there were multiple guns on Friday, were legally purchased. Well, 
If crazy people all over the country can buy guns legally, and that's been the trend this year, that these guns have almost all been legally obtained. Um, and even in the situation where it's been a child at a school, the parent legally obtained that weapon but didn't secure it properly. So we've got to have an honest conversation in this country because you know what? One of the people killed, the first person killed, the first person who was killed on Friday was a building contractor who was sitting in his car assembling the piece, the paperwork he needed to go file for a permit. And a deranged individual came and shot him through the head. There must be a better way. Background checks, red flag laws, um, a psychological profile. Um, maybe if you buy a gun, you have to go pass, you know, go to the range and pass a test or whatever that gives a knowledgeable person just, you know, the, exactly the same way you do when you, when you learn to drive a car. You have to go and pass an exam before they give you a driver's license. You have to prove that you know how to use this vehicle sensibly. Why don't we have a similar system for guns? So, yeah, but just because you pass a driver's license test doesn't mean you're not going to drink and drive and kill somebody on the highway. I'm well aware of that. But at least an examiner gets a chance to see what your level of competence is and determine whether there are risks that need to be considered. So somebody a, that trains you on how to use a gun has to be a psychologist at the same time? Is that what you're suggesting? No, I'm I'm say, not suggesting that. I'm suggesting that. That, that some characteristics um, that we find in these incidents might be identified so that we would have a way to proactively deal with some of this. You know, I'm, I'm, I come from a family of NRA members. Every man in my family owns a gun. Every one of them has a gun safe. Every one of them locks up their guns when they're not using them. Every one of them goes and takes target practice so they know if, God forbid, they ever needed to use the weapon defensively, they, they would be accurate and up-to-date. Um, but that's, you know, I, I get your point about drunk driving. I get your point about in a free society, there is no such thing as, as perfect protection. But when you look at our neighbors to the north who have had one mass shooting, and we've had 150 what are they doing differently than we are? And maybe that's a good question I should ask myself. And I'll go investigate that and come back and tell you what the Canadians are doing that is different than what we are doing. I'll tell you what they're doing. They're drinking beer and playing hockey. Ooh, does that sound like fun? They beat the crap of, out of each other on the hockey rink. So there's... They, they work out all their aggression that way. I know. I have good friends who are Canadians, and they, as they say, drinking is the national pastime. We don't, we're so, they have no time for, you know, going out and using weapons inappropriately. They also have less population. So we'll be back in, in just a moment. But, but it is really, ladies and gentlemen, time to think beyond thoughts and prayers. Twelve lives lost senselessly.
You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And so, as I said, I don't have all the answers about gun control. I just know we need to do something. And as we move on, I'm sure you've seen on television the incredible floods. The Arkansas River is never been as high as it is right now, and there's more water coming. Um, I was with a friend the other day who is from southern Illinois, and she had called her dad, and and um, apparently they can't plant at the farm at all yet because the water is so high. Um, there were pictures last night on the news in which the news reporter was standing on a um, peaked surface. It turned out it was the roof of a house that was completely submerged in floodwaters in, um, I believe, in Ohio. I could be wrong. It could be Arkansas. Uh, They were showing pictures of both. And you know what those people need? Um, Because many of them don't have flood insurance because they're not in a flood plain. They're not required to have federal flood insurance because they're not in a flood plain. And this is not a 100-year flood. This is a 1,000-year flood. What do these people need? They need aid. They need immediate aid. They need help to, you know, evacuate, help to um, figure out where they're going to begin to rebuild. These are not just farm, uh, just homes. These are whole farms. These are a part of our food system. These people need help and they need it now, especially when so many of them are suffering grievously in the Midwest because of the um, continued um, trade issues with China. So there is a $19 billion emergency relief bill passed by the Senate. Um, Before they went on recess, the House tried to pass it um, by um, voice vote, by acclamation. And one one, uh, congressman, um, we've talked about this, opposed it, um, and thus it couldn't be passed by acclamation. Uh, and his opposition was that it didn't include more wall funding. Well, you know, there is a bill. There is an H, um, a Homeland Security supplemental that is working its way through Congress, which is the appropriate place. This is emergency relief for natural disasters. One of the things I t- totally hate, and you should too, is when they take a non-related issue and try to stick it on the end as an amendment to a necessary bill, because that's the only way they can get it through. And what that means is that we spend billions upon billions upon billions of dollars and create hundreds and hundreds and thousands of pages of, rec- of regulation over things which, if they were debated by both houses of Congress in the normal order— would never, ever pass. And yet, because we stick them on the end as an amendment, they're not in the budget. And they're not on, you know, they're not a, a part of the law when it comes to being refunded at some subsequent point. They just kind of roll along under the surface. And a lot of that stopped a couple of years ago when we stopped doing special purpose amendments, you know, piggybacking 
um, on on bills to get certain local infrastructure packages um, uh, through Congress called pork barreling. <clears throat> Congress, to its credit, stopped doing that, except in these moments when we have a $19 billion emergency appropriation that's desperately needed by millions of American citizens who've diligently paid their taxes and done everything they're supposed to, and one GOP member after another comes up with some lame excuse to avoid it being passed by acclamation. It's now in its third week with its third objection, and that person objected because he didn't think we should spend any more money because, you know, we, we've spent a lot of money, um, more money than we took in. Well, folks, we've been doing that to the tune of $22 trillion for quite some time. You know, that last attempt to balance the U.S. budget was the Simpson Bowl Report in 2010. If Congress had enacted Simpson Bowl in 2010, we'd be practically out of debt today. Stop and think about that for a minute. If we had taken a sensible long-term approach to taxes and entitlements a decade ago, we would be almost out of debt instead of looking at increasing the national debt. But it would have placed constraints on Congress, reasonable constraints. But right this very moment, if you live in the middle of America or you live at, in Paradise, Calif- lived in Paradise, California, you need that $19 billion. This is not a time for political grandstanding at the expense of other people. It turns out two of these three um, Congress members are from Texas. Well, folks, there's money for Houston rebuilding from the last horrible hurricane on day two of this year's hurricane season. Okay. And, and that money is also, those people are also suffering. So yes, I think we need a long-term fix to the National Flood Insurance Program. But right now we need to help people, our fellow citizens who are in desperate need of our help. And we'll be back in just a moment. And maybe I can find something to talk about that isn't a sermon. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. It's interesting, in the podcast version of this program, you will not hear that previous commercial. And that's unfortunate, because that previous commercial is 100% accurate. What was the previous commercial about? I missed it. Uh, the previous commercial was about um, uh, Larry Kudlow's optimism about um, low inflation and high consumer confidence and um, rising wages is BS. When you look at the, un, the, the temporarily unemployed and the discouraged who have dropped out of the job market, you have um, a number closer to 11%. 
Most of the wage growth in the United States is at the low end, and it is part of state legislation to increase the minimum wage. California, the minimum wage is now 12 bucks. The last time you went out for a hamburger, you found out a family of four going out for a burger on a Saturday night is a $100 item now. Yeah, and a lot of municipalities are bumping up to 15 I know San Francisco is $15 an hour. And there's still the California push to 15 in the whole state. By 2023. Yeah. By then, you're going to want $40 or $50 an hour. 15's not well, going to get you any. $15 an hour might have helped out 15 years ago. Well, see, $15 an hour as a minimum wage, okay, then puts compression on the middle class. So the things that you expect, like going out for a burger on Saturday night, now become less affordable unless your wages rise as well. And that that begets you a cycle of um, un, unrestrained, non-globally competitive inflation. We've been there before, okay? So, and a $15 an hour, what they talk about a $15 an hour national minimum wage. I mean, in, in a number of states outside of California, um, that would be living large. I mean, that would be a completely, um, that's, that's a normal wage for a, you know, person with, a, with, with skills and experience. So it depends on what your cost of living is. In California, 15 bucks an hour is like <gasps> choking money. That's, that'll, that'll get you um, a, your kids free or reduced lunch in, the, in our schools. In some parts of the country, that would be um, enough money to buy a house. I mean, it's it's not a unitary thing. That's why it's best left to the individual states. But the facts are, the facts are that the middle class in this new so-called tax cut bill got squeezed within an inch of their very existence. You know, it was supposed to be, $4,000 reduction for every middle-class family in America. Well, it turns out now that the numbers are in, the IRS says the actual reduction is about $28 a person. So that's about 100 you know, roughly. I'm not going to do the math here. It's Sunday morning, and I've been uh, moving all week, so I'm pooped. Um, I'm not going to do the math, but it's roughly $115 now. In an economy which is dri driven by consumption, you know, the, the president's not wrong when he worries about um, our inability to manufacture, our inability or our, our failure anymore to produce stuff that would, in fact, create good wage jobs that would not be inflationary because they would create, you know, good um, offshoot jobs for people who would, you know, provide their lunch, you know, lunch at the lunch counter and so forth. I mean, manufacturing pays has always paid relatively well. And while we don't need as many people to run a factory today, they need to be more highly skilled. So they need to be paid better. And that there's a, a ratio that we use in um, economic theory that says for every one of those middle class good wage jobs, we produce four other jobs in the economy. And that's how you get economic growth. So I'm not differing with the objective. I'm simply saying we're not pursuing the objective of production 
um, and self-sufficiency within this economy in any way that um, can will rationally bear fruit. You know, you gotta you gotta have a vision, then you gotta have a plan. It's not any different in government than it is in business, and we don't have a plan to get there. So when you add all of those pressures together, and then you add to it 25% tariffs and an influx of foreign money into our real, that has so distorted our real estate market, you know, you, you really do put the uh, middle class in California uh, and, and in other uh, coastal cities in Seattle, in New York, in, um, to a lesser extent, Atlanta, certainly in Los Angeles. But you put those in those big urban areas, you literally put the middle class where most of us live and have lived all of our lives economically. Uh, we're an endangered species. And then that brings us... Um, to, you know, how do we get here? Um, and, and when you are a 80% consumption economy, imagine what 25% tariffs are going to do to refrigerator sales or um, washing machines, et cetera, things we no longer have factories to build. And if you noticed anything about the building process, it takes years to build a factory. But we don't have that production capacity anymore. So think of those 25% tariffs that we're going to impose on goods coming from China as a tax on the middle class. Because that's what they are. See, when you look at, when you look at California as an example, 83% of California's revenues to the state come from individual income tax. And I know you're all going, oh, yeah, I know that. 17% um, come from corporations. And those are mainly in the form of licenses, et cetera, or incorporation or minimum payments for being a certain size of corporation um, and a certain class of corporation. Most of the taxes are paid at the consumer level. Tariffs are a tax at the consumer level. They're not going to, by the way, a 5% tariff on, on everything coming from Mexico is not going to do, is, is going to have one impact, one impact on your life. All of a sudden, going to the farmer's market on Sunday, just, you know, for the experience, will not seem quite so extravagant because the cost of that, um, of the avocado that you might buy at, or tomato uh, that you might buy at the farmer's market is now going to be the same or even less than you're going to be paying at the grocery store because that's how closely the U.S. And, Canadi and, and Mexican and Canadian economies are tied after 20 years of NAFTA. And by the way, a thousand migrants a day crossing the border is a humanitarian and a national security catastrophe. But a five percent tariff on your farm on your farm table goods is not going to change that dynamic. 
What if they're sneaking in tacos and beer with themselves? I don't know about the beer, but the tacos sound really good. Well, Canadians can just smuggle, oh, that's smuggle, right. smuggle over the beer. The beer and, and the, the Mexicans can snu- smuggle over the tacos. I almost said snuggle the tacos. They'd have to, to smuggle them. Snuggle, smuggle. But you know what? It would be a real problem at the legal ports of entry because the... the oh, the, you pay off the Border Patrol with tacos. Heck, you'd have to pay off the drug-sniffing dogs first. <laughs> you know what my dog would do if you showed him a taco? He'd eat it. <laughs> yeah, that's how you do it. Just, hey, here, Fido, here's a taco. Oh, little doggy heartburn. <laughs> All right, we got to take a break. All right, I'm let's hungry. go do that. I'm, I'm going to go get a taco. I'll okay, right sounds good. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. You know, all that taco talk did make me hungry, you know, um, and so I think I'll have to walk over to the farmer's market today. Uh, I bumped into one of my neighbors yesterday afternoon as I was you know, heading off for, as I said, I'm moving, so we've been doing takeout this week. Um, but as I was heading for the garage um, yesterday, I bumped into one of my neighbors who came, said she was exhausted. She had spent the entire day at the California Democratic Convention in San Francisco, um, a braver woman than me. Um, and she said she had never before been to a political event like that, you know, a big rally. I said, well, I went to Anna um, Eschew's um, um, town hall on Thursday night in Campbell, um, and that was, you know, I, I thought that was a really interesting session, um, but that was enough, you know, political gathering for me at the moment. And then we sat there on the stairs for about, oh, seven or eight minutes and just chatted about, you know, her experience. And the thing that she surprised, was most surprised about was the booing, the booing and the attempt to shout, to shout down um, Colorado Governor um, Hickenlooper. And, you know, it, because Vince is a genius, we can repeat for you exactly what happened and then we can talk about it. Yeah, here's Colorado Governor Hickenlooper uh, speaking at the California Democratic Convention, I believe it was yesterday. It was yesterday. At Moscone Center in San Francisco. Yes. There he is. But let me be clear. If we want to beat Donald Trump and achieve big progressive goals, socialism is not the answer. I was reelected... Reelected in a purple state in 2014, one of the worst years for Democrats in a quarter century. I was, you know, if we're not careful, we're going to end up helping to reelect the worst president in American history. Welcome to California, pal. Yeah, well, 
If you look at the legislative agenda in California, it is socialistic. The People's Republic the of People's California. The People's Republic of California is no longer a joke. It's becoming a reality. But Hickenlooper's point is well taken. You know, one of the things, and, and, and this was part of the conversation my neighbor and I had, and she said, well, this person and that person and so forth. One of the things that really mystifies me about this entire um, Democratic field of, what are we up to, 23 candidates? Uh, I think we need one more person to jump in, 24, make it an even number, 24, 12 on one night, 12 on another night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? Actually, we should we should get 64 and do like an NCAA March Madness tournament bracket. Ooh, I think that would be a brilliant idea. Yeah. No, we don't need less. We need more candidates. Yeah, because we want to be more confusing and we want to promise more people more stuff we don't know how to pay more for. More free stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that we don't know how to pay for. Free ponies. Everybody who 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 uh who votes for me, a free pony. Do you get do you get the shovel that goes with it? Yeah, it's all free. Everything, all the accoutrement, anything you want, free. Here's my basic question. To what end is all this stuff free? You know, I'm a businesswoman. In a business, you say, here's my objective. I want to be the best phone company or, or the number one semiconductor manufacturer in the world. I want to define the future. If you were Intel, you know, if you were Gordon Moore and Andy Grove and Robert Noyce, you had an objective. And that objective was to define the world of small chip computing. That's how you were going to be the number one company. But then all the other things that that were required were the tasks, you know, the plan and and the steps within the plan were the tasks that had to be fulfilled in order to meet that objective. So when you talk about universal health care, Medicare for all, or whatever you want to call it, it ain't free, guys. Ponies for all. Ponies for all. Free college, free this, free that. To what end, I ask? Tacos. Weren't we going to get taco trucks on every corner? I think we're moving in that direction because I think that's the only thing people oh, no, will that be was, able that, to afford. That was when Hillary Clinton was going to get elected. If Hillary was elected, we would have had a taco truck on every corner. I, I don't understand how that's a bad thing, but... I, I don't either. Um, Maybe that's something one of the 27 uh, Democrats can run on. Well, it would be free as, tacos. Tacos be, is a right. Yeah, it would be as as uh, um, as as effective and honest as Governor Ensley, the Was- Washington's current governor's um, attempt to run on climate change by claiming, look how many jobs I've created, you know, out of climate change. Those jobs were not created out of, out of climate change. They were created by Amazon and Microsoft and the companies that they have spawned. Is that somebody running for president too? Yes. Oh. And okay. and his and his his issue is climate change. And we're going to do a show about climate change because it's time to set the record straight. The climate is changing. That's correct. How we address it is not a United States of America alone problem. I said it last week. 
I wouldn't have put tariffs on China. I'd have said, if you want to sell me good, you want to sell sequined T-shirts in the United States or little turntables that go in your pantry, you got to clean up the way you manufacture them. You cannot build any more coal fire plants. You've got to reduce the metric tons of uh, particulate matter in your atmosphere. And we don't have time to talk about it today, but you've got to stop poisoning the air around the world in the way in which you mine for rare earth minerals. So think about think about rare earth minerals. Keep that thought in mind. It's going to isn't get, rare earth a band? Um, rare earth sounds there like there is a, a band. There was a band. Maybe the one of their their albums was titled Minerals. It's a good record. I don't I'll have know. To look, I'll have to double check that. You'll have to look. You'll look that up. In any case, my neighbor and I chatted about the various Democrats, and it all came down to why. What's your What's your objective, candidate? Instead of telling people how much free stuff you're going to give them, why don't you get straight with them and tell them how much we are going to have to band together and how much we are going to have to collectively sacrifice in order to fix the problems which we all want to refuse to acknowledge? If you're 40 years old listening to this program and counting on Social Security, let me tell you that Social Security is in its you know, foreseeable life, that's everybody who's alive today, $179 trillion underfunded. So reducing the assets, taxing the assets of the wealthy is, I believe, unconstitutional. But it's getting Elizabeth Warren a lot of attention. And I think Pete Buttigieg is a really smart guy. But haven't we learned that the presidency is not a place for on-the-job training? And it doesn't matter. It is important who the Democrats nominate because it's important that we have a clear and concise debate about the direction of this country. And let me tell you one thing that I'm positive of. The more restrictive abortion laws get passed that would attempt to change Roe v. Wade, which is, to quote George Bush, Bush 43, settled law, the more of those and the more of the free stuff that give, gets given away, the cloudier will be the issues. So at the ballot box, we are not going to solve the moral issues surrounding abortion, nor are we going to solve the immigration problem until both parties in the Congress decide it is in their best interest to stop using immigration as a political cudgel and use it and and have an effective program that meets the objectives of a 21st century United States. And just as we go to break, let me tell you that the Congresswoman was the only Democrat that I have heard who can articulate what that objective is. And that objective is the United States should be number one in every discipline. Education, production, agriculture, etc., And we'll be back in just a moment with a couple of closing thoughts. And here's a little rare earth. Get ready. Oh, my God. It really is a band. You're listening to Reimagine America. 
For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back with just some closing thoughts. Um, Robert Mueller finished his investigation this week and said he doesn't really want to testify in front of Congress, that he wants the report to speak for itself. It's a 448-page report, and it's fascinating reading. It really is. Um, uh, it, it definitely does not exonerate the president or anyone else involved in that campaign of any kind of, um, you know, but, but there's a difference between exoneration and criminal culpability. But Robert Mueller, despite all the right-wing attempts to color what he said or to use Barr's language, or Attorney General Barr's language, um, to refute it, he was very plain. He said, constitutionally, you cannot indict a sitting president for a crime. Only Congress has that power. I don't know whether Congress should exercise that power or not. Because like you, I don't have all the facts. But when the Justice Department tells a judge that they don't believe it's their responsibility to adhere to the orders that he is giving, then, you know, again, the precedent of, of, of such imperial presidency is a precedent we will live with going forward if we don't check it now. I think Congress needs to take back in the Constitution the, the responsibility to create a tariff or declare an emergency is up to Congress. Congress can remove a president. A president cannot remove a member of Congress. Article 1 is, was, and should be the controlling portion of the United States Constitution. And we'll be back next week to talk more about how we save and improve our republic. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.